going back to this idea, Wendy, of essay planning, once we've got that first vital component of an essay plan, a thesis statement, what's next? Well, we're looking for evidence to support our thesis statement. In this sort of academic writing, you know, opinions aren't really going to carry the weight. We need to connect it to the literature. So this is where we're out doing our library searches, searching for that supportive information that we can reference. Because I might not be an expert in public relations, but I can use the work of other people who've done research in this area and use their work to, to add credibility to what I'm trying to argue. So we need that support for the argument that you're trying to make. So when he's talking about evidence as support that we need, we also need to work out what our main arguments are going to be. And they're typically called main points. They're often called the main arguments. This is the kind of language that people use when they're trying to communicate this, to say, okay, we've got a thesis here, this is the main point, and here's what my main points are going to be. Or they'll say, well, this, this is what my main arguments will be. I informally and casually refer to these as mini-theses. It's not a technical term, but I do use it in my teaching because I think it quickly crystallises or makes clear to everyone, OK, we have a thesis. That's important. I understand that. And now we have mini-theses. Right, so that's how these things fit together. The thesis has a function to keep you on track. The mini theses or your main points also have a really important function. They must link to the thesis. That is, they must support the thesis. They can't contradict the thesis. As the thesis is like a pact or a deal that you make, a position that you say, I'm going to focus on this, each main point that you have does the same thing at that sub-level. Hey, Wendy. That's right. We often talk to students about creating a mind map where you're just basically drawing a little storyboard, maybe with little circles, where you write inside that circle what that particular topic of one argument might be. And you might end up with a page with, say, about five of these or six of these of where you think your, your topic might go where your essay might go. So these actually end up becoming the topic sentences of each paragraph. And sometimes you've got to get a little bit involved in your reading before you can work out what those main points are going to be. But they are the structure that your essay can take. It gives it that strength by having those main points clearly formulated in your mind. As you've alluded to earlier, we're talking about something that is highly structured on one hand, but not inflexible either. And so this is the balance that we need to achieve. So if we think, gee, my thesis is not working for me, we need to change our thesis. Absolutely. Yeah. And those things you don't know until you've done some reading. And that's what, the, and that's the crux of it, isn't it, Wendy? And that's what makes the, the flexibility such an important component because mm. you're trying to produce something the final product will be highly structured, but the journey there can be the result of modifications made along the way for the reasons that, uh, that you've put forward there, that um, you start to read and think, oh, I'm, I'm encountering information as I go in my research, and that is affecting 
my view and the arguments that I think I will present. So one of your main points in an essay might need to be just completely scrapped. Absolutely. Sometimes, you you know, your first instinct is, oh, this is where the literature is going to be. You start to read and you realise you don't have enough evidence or enough information to really talk about it. Or perhaps you find in your reading that this other point is the one that is the most powerful, so you discount where you've been. So it's that flexibility you're talking about. That flexibility is important because if we don't have it, we can easily end up in the rabbit hole problem Mm. that people talk about. You're jumping down all kinds of alleyways and too much of that burns up time and energy. You can exhaust Mm. yourself and the thing can become quite uh, complicated. Now, it's a matter of just trying to manage these things. Going down a rabbit hole or two, that's, that, that, that is fine. Don't be too hard on yourself. But it can get out of hand. That is a trap that we want to avoid because we have so many other things to juggle in life. Wendy, once we have a plan... I would call a a rudimentary plan, a thesis statement and your main points and your gathering evidence, which you talked about, textbooks, other things that are in a course, journal articles, advice that I give my students just to begin with is make for sure that you utilise the resources, the reading sources and resources that you've been provided in the course. Now, many lecturers will want you to go beyond that and that's to be encouraged and it will add value to your work. What I see too often and what people see too often, an essay that barely uses the readings that have been set for the course. Those readings are a precious resource. If you use those resources, the set readings, and you use them well, that will work very well for you. I think the set readings are the nudge in the right direction, which can be really useful. Yes, I can see what you're saying here, because in those readings, there will be references to other key sources, and they're the kinds of sources that that you often want to go and look at the original work or some of that original work. Absolutely. I often look at the reference list. It's the gold when you're doing research because if you've read something that's relevant, well, who are they quoting? Where, which direction are they going in? And it just creates this wonderful, broad repertoire of things that you can refer to. So, Wendy, what are your, what, what's, what's the advice that you give and, and what are your thoughts about this step of embarking on writing your first draft. Mm. Look, this is a critical step and it's sometimes the step where students get intimidated because they've done so much reading and how do I start? There's an anxiety in, in that blank page and getting something on the first page. So sometimes I talk to students about this lovely term that I heard once called a zero draft. And a zero draft is permission to write really badly. Get something on the page. It's more important to get something there even if it's not those perfect words and that perfect argument. It's easier to work with something that's on a page and fix it up in drafts that come after that. So the other thing to be very careful of is sometimes students in their anxiety to get writing will spend more time researching. 
I'll just go and check this other article. Oh, I might just look that up. And what they don't recognise is they're actually using that as procrastination. Thought you were going to say that. <laughs> it is an understandable, natural trap, which we all understand here. It's an easy trap to fall into. We've all fallen into the trap. We've all had this experience, so it's not that strange. But it can, it can sap uh, precious time well, and one, energy. Yeah. One technique that I, I recommend to students is you make that decision on writing actually based on your timeline. So you've looked at when is your assignment due and you've worked out ahead of time, well, I'll spend this much time in, in uh, research, I'll spend this much time in actual writing. You hit that date, that time, and you start writing. They're great tips, Wendy, because we, we all have that, um, I know you've called it, and other people use this term too, that blank page phenomenon of uh, where do I start? Coming back to planning, and this is the way I attack it, something that I encourage students to think about is the plan. So we've got our thesis, we've got our main arguments or what the main points are going to be. We've talked about collecting evidence for that and reading and making notes. So what you have with this plan is something that is swelling because you're adding detail progressively. The way I like to think about it is you grow your plan like this until it reaches a point where you say, well, I have enough now to sit down and begin writing a draft. And I think it can help us maybe not completely always overcome every aspect of that blank page barrier. But when we have a well-developed plan, we have a roadmap for this draft. We're not kind of swimming around in an ocean not knowing where to go next. We're just writing, putting into prose or sentences and paragraphs what our plan contains.